Like, oh, I'm going to be stuck in the past mentally, but I'll join a gym, overexert myself, work out 24-7, and hope for the best. Welcome to Heart of Glass, the podcast. I'm your host, Hella, and in this podcast, I will be discussing emotions, life, death, conflict, and everything that makes us human. So please stick around as shit's about to go down. It's Heart of Glass Wednesday. Thanks for tagging along. Thanks for being here. Um, Greetings from my very humble studio in my very humble room. Um, If you've been listening from the very beginning, you probably know this, but I just want to say that this is a series of episodes about one topic that is the grieving process, which is a process that is unique to everyone and almost everyone goes through a grief event once in their lives. Um, I highly encourage you to listen to the first episode to know more and what you'll be expecting from the rest of the episodes. I also have to note once again that I am not a licensed therapist, although I'm a huge advocate for going to therapy and working through conflict and trauma. This podcast is merely a reflection of my thought process and experience with grief. One of my intentions with it is to normalize vulnerability and asking for help and knowing more about our feelings and our emotions and feeling all the feels, if you know what I mean. So today we have yet another stage to discuss called bargaining. As defined by the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross model, bargaining is a type of negotiation. And we will talk about the nature of bargaining in the context of grieving, what the voice in our head starts to sound like, and what we will need to do during this stage. So let's pause in our grief to start observing and understanding what happens during the stage of negotiation. So bargaining, or how I like to see it, is a tug of war between our attachment of the situation and our need to let go, knowing full well it's over. Our brains have a way of wanting to visualize or experience things a different way, especially when they don't work out however we wanted. And it all stems from this normal urge to want things to get back to normal. And so we cling so hard. When we're grieving, there's a lot of vulnerability and helplessness that comes with it. And one of the techniques of coping and wanting to gain control over the truth is negotiating the outcome with yourself. This stage starts when that voice in your head starts to second guess, thinking of different scenarios, the what ifs and only ifs. I don't remember where I quoted this from, but during the grieving process, many areas in the brain involved in strong emotion gets activated. Most importantly, the brain's reward circuit, which corresponds to a feeling of yearning for the dead. So it is kind of similar to the feeling of addiction. And for people who are chronically grieving, any reminders of the event or the person they lost reopens the wound 
making it hard to adapt in the present moment. Guilt and bargaining go hand in hand. Uh, this whole stage feeds off guilt due to the strong urge to gain back control or a sense of normality. Now, this is a slippery slope as it can trigger other emotions. You could easily get into self-blame when you start doubting or imagining all the possibilities of what you could have done. It takes many different shapes and forms depending on the context, and I will be referring to one later on. You could look back on the person you lost and think, what if I treated them better? Or what if I didn't say X, Y, and Z? Would have that changed the outcome? I found out that it's also very common to feel what seems like negative emotions towards the one you lost due to death or whatever situation that could have been. And I'm, I know this is very difficult, but emotions like hating them for leaving you without a last goodbye or an intense resentment towards the way they left you without a closure. And honestly, it can't just have a small list of emotions that this stage could bring up to the surface. It's your own experience and it could bring up a lot of different and even more complex emotions depending on your history with them and a lot of other factors. Now, it's important to note that all the emotions that are brought up during the stage are valid, no matter how negative they may seem to be. It is essential to feel them and move through them instead of dwelling on them. So we might find ourselves already grieving, especially when someone is fighting an illness, for example. One that completely changes our idea of who they once were is when the grieving starts early on, even before they're gone. So to the person who's grieving, it is so difficult for them to see that none of this bargaining or negotiation is going to change the outcome or, or anything at all. But this thought process could be so relieving as it gives hope, something to cling to. And you feel like you could do something productive with all these negative emotions that are still lingering. And so you'd expect to know more or dig deep during this stage, which would make up for the bad news or, you know, the loss that happened. This way of thinking buys you more time to gradually accept what has happened instead of diving right into the truth. Because when you start questioning or negotiating outcomes, it also means that you somewhat accepted or rather admitted the truth about an ending in the first place. So how do we act when we're grieving and what do we tend to do? The most difficult grieving happens at hospitals all the time. To someone who is diagnosed with a terminal illness, for example, that's when the grieving kicks in as soon as they know. They may even get into the bargaining stage sooner as they start talking to God, praying for more time, or making a deal with him that if they're given another chance at life, that they're going to live their life to the fullest, or change some of their bad habits, or just try to make things right with their family, etc. And this conversation doesn't have to happen with God or like a divine force, but it could also happen with just yourself, like making a promise on how you're going to be better if the diagnosis or the bad news has been somehow reversed. Just to have more time in this life. The thing I like about this stage is that it's not only an internal experience, but we also tend to let others in on it. So one of the common things we do in this stage is reach out to people just to see what other possibilities might have changed the outcome from their perspective. And again, this is so essential for our healing as it might give us the closure that we couldn't have with the person we lost and allow us to honor it and move on. 
All right, I'll give you an example of when bargaining seemed like an obvious stage in my process. You know how when you miss a chance at something or someone you care about so much and you hear from your friends something along the lines of, you dodged a bullet. Now, personally speaking, aside from the fact that I absolutely agree with my friends, at least now, and this is an old example, by the way, if you've ever been in a toxic relationship, which I hope you never do, you will probably know what I'm talking about. Somehow, with a lot of gaslighting and manipulation, your partner might shift the focus and point the spotlight on you until you're distracted from talking about what really matters, especially if they're the one in the wrong and don't want to take responsibility for their actions or the lack of thereof. This ugly part, them doubting you and making you seem like the only problem in the relationship, will come back to haunt you after it all ends, most probably in this stage like in my case so i'm just out of a toxic long-term relationship and all my abandonment issues and traumas bubble up to the surface the first thing we usually do is doubt ourselves and think oh maybe it's something we did you just start spiraling into self-blame in all the different scenarios of how it could have not ended which it could very well be something you did i'm not saying i'm an angel but You deserve closure still, and it takes two people to make a couple, so... Like any other heartbroken girl who's out of a toxic relationship that she's not even aware of its toxicity yet, I start apocalypsing, weeping, and crying my heart out as I talk to my friends about it and what seems like the finale of my romantic journey in this life. And they give me the good old, girl, you just dodged a fucking bullet. It used to freaking annoy the shit out of me. It's easy for them to say, because... They don't feel the emotional attachment and the connection that I'm feeling with that person, the one I lost, in this moment of utter grief and sadness. To the one who's grieving, it doesn't seem like you did dodge a bullet at first, especially if you're still in denial. Listen to the previous episode if you haven't. But without knowing, they were actually helping me integrate this idea into my grieving process, the bargaining stage specifically. Now, I have to note that you have to hear such a thing from a friend who you know is honest and real with you, even if things get ugly. Not one who tells you what you want to hear and pats you on the back, even if you're in the wrong. Because I do believe in the fact that relationship problems is kind of a two-way street. So, taking responsibility for my own behavior as well, and then judging the whole situation. So, back to grieving, how does me reflecting out loud and having my friends weigh in with their opinions help? So, I realized that by telling me this, they care for me and want me to move on and also find meaning behind this experience, which could sound a bit ambitious to you at first if you're the one grieving a loss, but trust me, you will find meaning once the timing is right for you to start the bargaining stage. Like, that's when the stars finally align. But finding meaning can be too early if you find yourself swinging back and forth between all the different stages. So it does depend on the situation and your own level of awareness. So say you want to skip this stage, you're just not feeling it. You don't want to negotiate anything, you don't don't want to do bargaining, you just want to repress those emotions. What is the worst that can happen? So, one of the unhealthy ways of coping with the stage that people think they're actually helping themselves when they're not is trying to do anything to get ourselves out of the pain of taking the harsh reality in as it is. 
So the negotiation might take a different route. You might start bargaining with the pain itself in a way by indulging in self-destructive behaviors. And this is not only about addiction or substance abuse like most of you would normally think. It could also be disguised in something that looks very healthy, like working out. Like, oh, I'm going to be stuck in the past mentally, but I'll join a gym, overexert myself, work out 24-7, and hope for the best. Now, this is valid and normal for a lot of people to experience, but I still think it's helpful to go through this phase for you to be able to ease into the next one. So, it's so important to look out for such behavior, although it looks healthy, you're literally just numbing out the pain in an obsessive and self-destructive way. It is used as a distraction so you don't have to think about what happened and it gives you more time to dwell and obsess over the memories instead of facing them. When you don't give yourself the time and space to experience your own grief, especially negotiating or bargaining, and sadly, it's this is more likely to happen to those who lost their loved one due to death, you could quickly jump straight into the depression stage, which is going to be our topic for the next episode. So my experience with having conversations with others about the loss I went through always gives me something to think about. A new perspective, maybe support, or even just unconsciously reinforcing the idea that the loss is in fact in the past by letting it out of your system and talking about it in past tense. These conversations with your therapist or even your friends could actually help change the narrative and the way you describe the loss, especially if it happened in such a brutal way or if your relationship with the person you lost wasn't the best. Whenever you're second-guessing or negotiating the outcome of that loss, just knowing nothing in this stage will change the outcome, but still going over all the possibilities will eventually get you to that point of facing reality through your own thoughts. Like, you'll hold back for a second and realize, oh, so I do know that it all ended, and now I'm hypothesizing what could've, should've, would've happened. And hopefully then you'll be able to know that it's out of your control however it ended and that that's the point, to acknowledge reality as it is. In the past, it took me a lot of time to even be able to say this out loud, to resolve this inner conflict and reach this state of acceptance, that I did in fact dodge a bullet when that relationship ended. Sometimes it's just so hard to see the love in an act that does not represent it in a way that seems foreign to us or even negative. But I assure you that if you do the work, you will in time be able to see how it all worked in your favor, that love and blessings can be disguised in what seems like the end of the world, and that you owe it to yourself to move on. So with that, I conclude today's episode. As always, I really hope you found it enjoyable or somewhat relatable. The next one is going to be about depression, so stay tuned. The podcast is now available everywhere, so I would highly encourage you to leave me a good review and, I don't know, maybe a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. So yeah, take care, and I'll see you next time. Bye.